Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, church. Uh, welcome, uh, wherever you're joining us from, be it live, online, on the roof, outer space, wherever you may be, we welcome you to Palm Sunday here at New Vintage Church. Um, this is Holy Week in the church tradition, kind of at large. And my hope is that by the time that we're done today, you'll have resolved to do a couple of things. Well, one is that you've got somebody in mind or several people in mind that you want to go ahead and bring to our Easter services. In all honesty, it will not get easier ever to invite somebody to church, okay? Uh, a lot of the friends that you think have no interest in Jesus may slip in somewhere anyway. They just won't tell you. Just ask them. Just say, hey, God's done some great things at our church. Come and see Saturday night, 5, 9, and 11, okay? Uh, we've got, we'll tell you a little bit about Good Friday and uh, some of that good stuff coming up later. So resolve to do that. But more than that, I want you to take this week, okay? We call it Holy Week, Palm Sunday, essentially all the way through Good Friday and Easter and the resurrection, and, and just say, I am going to make sure that for this week, okay, you should do it 52 weeks out of the year, but I'm a realist. If you've drifted off, if you've gotten to a place where maybe uh, Jesus is a, a part of your life in a more casual way, you've gotten distracted again or, or didn't COVID or whatever, you've gotten a little bit kind of wobbly in your faith that you're going to refocus yourself this week. There's so many great spiritual resources out there. And it, and it might be that you want to spend some extra time in prayer. You might want to fast this week. You might want to do some of those things. Uh, some people have given up different things for Lent and other things to just kind of recenter themselves because it's easy, even for experienced Christians, to come into this week and instead of reusing it as a time to really recenter and refocus, because they've done it so many different times, to kind of just go, yeah, heard that story, done whatever, blah, 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 and to kind of coast through it. And what a missed opportunity that would be. I don't know about you, but as things begin to kind of crack back open here in our state, it's easy to start getting distracted again. And all the lessons we kind of learned, the positive side of this last year, can be lost if we're not careful. All the distraction and, and, and the kind of the hyper-consumerism and the things that really absorbed us prior to, we have an opportunity here to say, hey, my life is going to be different going forward. I'm going to let God change me in a way that I didn't even know was possible. And so that's my prayer for all of us this week, is that we would come out of this totally focused and centered on Jesus, the Holy Spirit's fire burning inside of us, because if we're not careful, we'll end up what they call hemoblind. That's a phrase that the Swedes use to talk about uh, blindness to the things of home. So here's what hemoblind looks like in the Spivey house. We had, uh, we do it all the time, actually. We have several of these things. But when we used, we, we, several years ago in our house, when we first moved into it, we had those infamous, like, wardrobe boxes, those big tall ones that they hang clothes in. And there was, like, kind of one left. And we, we decided, okay, we're going we're gonna, to, you know, just set that there and we'll deal with it later. Well, at some point, we got tired of looking at it. And so we took, like, a throw and kind of put it over the box, right? So, and it happened to be like right by my side of the bed. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like it was like way over in the corner. It was, it was like I had to walk around it to go to the bathroom or something. I had to get out of bed and go around this box. Okay, well, we forgot about it. It basically became part of the, the room, right? It was like this immovable force. And so I would just get up and we learned how to live around that box until we had something done, like we had to have the room recarpeted or something. And then, lo and behold, here it is. There's like a wardrobe box full of clothes that had been in our room, I think it was about two years, that that box was just sitting there in our room. 
Those of you who were with us uh, in our previous building will remember the infamous beep. Oh, oh I know, I know. Um, for those of you who are new, our, our old building, out of the blue, I remember because the first time I heard it, I was preaching. And I heard beep. And it was just like a, like a smoke detector that's kind of got a low battery or something. Chirp. And it's like, okay, we'll, we'll get it. You know? And then five minutes later, beep. And I can see everybody in that corner of the room just kind of, what's going on, you know? Anyway, so that deal, we, we, we tried to get it. We tried to, I mean, I remember Scotty and DJ cutting a hole in the ceiling and trying to go up and find this because it was driving everybody crazy. Okay, we never did find it. And uh, we spent about a year to a year and a half with that thing beeping every five minutes of our life together as a church. And we could not find it. It was funny because Canvas Church actually found it. It was a, a smoke detector that dropped down inside the wall to the bottom and it still had some battery in it. But what was funny was after a while, you just learned not to hear it. That's right. Right? It's kind of like, what beep? The beep. You don't hear that? It's like, no, I hadn't really, I hadn't really heard it before. That's Hema blind, right? Hema blind. Blind to the stuff of home. Okay, so it's easy, okay, if we're not careful and we don't find ways to recenter and refocus to live around Jesus, right? Get used to the chirp of the church. Come to our thing. And just get used to it, right? See, Palm Sunday doesn't let us do that. Right. Palm Sunday makes a lot of noise. It's like a parade. You got kids and palm branches walking up and down the aisles. You got people clapping. You got loud music. You got smiles. You got people feeling finally unleashed to celebrate Jesus the way that he deserves to be celebrated. And yet, because... When you look at the Gospel of John and how he tells the story, the way he looks at it is it's actually kind of got a darker side to it. Now, the resurrection's bright, but Palm Sunday is, is kind of a double-edged sword. You do have the celebration. You have the massive rejoicing of the people, but the problem is that throughout the Gospel of John, the big problem is that people don't understand who Jesus is, and that becomes readily apparent on Palm Sunday. They still don't get it. They think that Jesus is there to save them from Rome. And he's actually there to save them from hell. They think that all he's going to do is that. Okay, come here. And I got I to, come here, Jesus. We got an agenda. My agenda and your power together is unstoppable. So I'll tell you what. I do the agenda. You do the power. And when this is all said and done, we're going to have our country back. And it's all going to be sweet. Okay? Now, don't go there with it. That's not what I mean. That's not what I mean. Because that would be an example of what we do. We find ways to politicize everything. Everything. Check the manufacturer on the microphone being used right there, and let's do a deep dive into the research, the company, to see yeah. what they do and who the, who's involved and who invests and where the stocks are bought. Da, 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 da. So we really think in that climate, we're going to be able to roll through something like Palm Sunday and not try it. Oh, yeah, we'll try. We'll try. And it doesn't matter what side of the aisle. It doesn't matter. We're all fluent in robbery of meaning on things like this. But if you'll join me in John chapter 12... 
I'll show you all the different ways that people misunderstand him, because that's really what it is in John. They don't get him. They don't understand him. And if we're not careful, we're not going to get it either. And we're going to have a hard time focusing. And we're going to have a hard time understanding the meaning of this day. Um, and so as you open and flip over there in your Bible app or whatever you got, okay, the, the story kind of opens with the healing of Lazarus before Palm Sunday. And so you may, if you're not familiar with the story very quickly, there's a man and he gets sick. They call for Jesus' help, Mary and Martha do, and he dies. Lazarus dies. Jesus and Lazarus were clearly very close because when he shows up and he finds out that he's dead, even though he knows he's going to raise him from the dead, he cries. Jesus weeps. Important. God's got a big heart. God understands people's pain. That's not the point of the story, though. The point of the story becomes he raises Lazarus from the grave, and instead of the Pharisees going, wow, that's impressive. Maybe we should listen to what he has to say. They look and they go, look at how popular these guys are. Lazarus and Jesus, the traveling road show, those two guys. Uh, you know, we, let's kill Lazarus. And they plot to kill Lazarus. Now, th at the same time, they're plotting to kill Jesus. All right, so what ends up happening is after Lazarus is raised... Everybody's happy, of course, so they throw a party. And Lazarus, Jesus, Mary and Martha are all having a bash together, celebrating the resurrection of Lazarus, the fact that he's alive, and just being together and loving each other. During the course of that event, Mary takes a bottle of expensive ointment and pours it on Jesus' feet in an amazing act of lavish worship, pours it out on his feet. It's worth a year's wages. The most expensive perfume available, I'm told, is called Imperial Majesty. Oh, Imperial Majesty. Available at your local Macy's for $215,000 a bottle. If you've got it, get your wife or girlfriend a bottle of that stuff, and she'll probably go, you're stupid. Why don't you save that money or spend it on something better? But it has like gold, 24-karat gold, like flakes throughout the, the perfume, right? This stuff is similar. It's expensive. Like, like, you know, have you ever been in one of those things where you watch somebody go up and like treat a really expensive car band, like run their key down the side. It's like, ah, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Like that, that's kind of the impact on Judas. Judas goes, this is a waste. Why are you wasting this on Jesus? Jesus' ears perk up. And he says, listen, she was going to save this for my burial. But I'm here. And I'm alive. And what she's done is very good and very kind. And very appropriate. Zip it, Judas, basically. And then after that, she's reprimanded for that. Jesus says, leave her alone. And then it says in uh, John uh, between verses 7 and 11, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there, and not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made a plan to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. He's getting his attention, right? We haven't gotten to the text yet, but going back up, because I've got to walk him back through this again, all right? So uh, the chief priests, now we are in the text, <laughs> go back. 
<laughs> this is my fault, not theirs. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that part's actually in the Psalms. The part that is not in the Psalms is this next line. Blessed is the king of Israel. They added that part. Little Bible, little politics. Even they did it. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. See, there you go. Misunderstanding again. What is he doing? Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. See how the whole world has gone out after him? We're not getting anywhere with this whole grumbling and complaining thing. And so they plot to take him out. Ironically, Caiaphas earlier in John chapter 11 says, you know, hey, isn't it better if we take out one guy so that all of us don't die? And we basically, you cut off the snake with the head. It'll all die. Turns out he was wrong because centuries later, billions of Christians later, it's the death of Jesus that brings salvation to the world. But they can see it, right? They see Lazarus. They, they think it's the greatest thing they've ever seen. But ironically, and this is where we'll kick off today, they don't understand his magnitude. They don't understand, apparently, <laughs> Lazarus's magnitude. Because if I was going to try and kill somebody, I wouldn't pick the guy that had just been raised from the dead. Lazarus is like a weeble, you know, he wobbles, but he won't fall down. Like he, he goes down and back up again. Now, the, the, the raising of Lazarus foreshadows what's going to happen on Easter for Jesus. So you got these two guys that are somewhat unkillable. And their solution to the problem is to kill those guys or try to kill those guys. And the reason that they give is because everybody's going after them. They're like jealous. Why do they get all the attention? And so Caiaphas goes, hey, look, and, and part of it, you read Caiaphas's comments and you, and you kind of, who's the high priest, and you kind of think, you know, he seems to be concerned that Rome is going to come crack down on him. Like there's going to be some, the people are going to rally and then Rome's going to come in and really crack the whip. And so he says to himself, he says, hey, let's just take him out. Not something a high priest normally does. But they don't understand his magnitude. They seem to think that all they got to do is kill him as though they can. What do you do to a guy who can't be killed? Now, we've seen like superhero movies and things like that, and those guys are impressive, okay? But this is different. This is a whole different level of power, right. a whole different level of, of uh, not just not being killable, but, but being able to, to do things like raise other people from the dead. I mean, it's a whole nother thing. Now, you see it there in the parade. So again, it's a double-edged sword. The people for a moment seem to get it. 
Okay, but there's some irony here. Plotting to kill somebody who was just resurrected, and then somebody who's already prophesied, the guy who raised this guy, says, I'm going to do it too. Well, let's kill him. They don't understand his magnitude. They don't understand that when they kill him, that's actually going to drive the world toward him. They don't get him. And in the same way even now, people think that Jesus is just a guy. He's just another guy. He's just another dude who is on the scene, and yeah, he says some good things, love your neighbor, yada, yada, yada. We, I mean, who doesn't believe in that? And blah, 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 and everything like that. He's all right. He's okay. He's good. He's not a guy. I'm a guy. He's a God. He's, that's different. I'm very much take-outable. He's not. And if he for a second said, hey, Tim, get up, then I'm up. If he tells the sun to rise in the sky, it rises. If he tells Lazarus to get up out of the grave, then he gets up. That's who he is. They grossly misunderstand the magnitude of Jesus. His apostles seem to be the same way. They, in the Gospel of John, are confused through the whole book. They understand nothing he says. And to the point that sometimes it'll say, and he explained this to them, and they still didn't understand. And then he says some confusing things, admittedly. Why did you, he told them these things so that they wouldn't understand. Well, it worked. They don't understand. But the whole whole book, even this, they don't get it. They don't hear the echoes of the Old Testament saying, hey, he's fulfilling the prophecy that God said was going to happen. He's the coming Messiah. He's the one that Psalms talked about, one that Zechariah talked about. That's him. Here he is. They don't get it. He's a guy. We believe in him. He's a great teacher. We're fans. Like Martin Luther King or of some other great leader. But this story says, no, 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 no. He's not an ordinary guy. And the fact that he's walking around with Lazarus should tell us that. Because everybody watched Lazarus die. That's why everybody's astounded to see him and everybody's driving toward him. All right? Or, in other cases, some misunderstand his mission. I alluded to this one earlier. Now, the thing with the palms, because that's a strange thing for us. We don't use palm branches a lot other than to fan people with or whatever. If they're in a, I don't know, if you're in Egypt at a spa or something, then you get fanned with palm branches. I can't think of another other time anybody waves palm branches. It's never happened to me, but maybe before I die. Who knows? It'll happen. But I sit there and I go, okay, so what do the palms mean? Well, there's a lot of meaning in those, and it's unequivocally militaristic, okay? I don't know what the American equivalent would be singing the Star Spangled Banner or something, we all go, okay, that's kind of goes back to a certain time and a certain place, fireworks on Independence Day. I don't know, the eagle or coins. There are certain symbols that we have that conjure up military meaning, right? For them, it was palms. No, say a couple hundred years before this, a little less, there was a revolt. A fellow named Judas Maccabeus, great name, leads a revolt. And for a period of time, they're successful. The Jews recapture Jerusalem, re-sanctify the, the, the temple, and that's where the holiday Hanukkah comes from, if you guys don't know. But that was just right before. Well, during that, okay, the celebration to get in there was celebrated with palms. Um, during both of the major wars with Rome... The coinage, okay, in these things, the rebel coinage had palms on it. So when they're throwing down palms and they add that phrase, 
To me, it's a fairly unmistakable link. And his failure to meet their understanding of what he's here to do is why five days later, they can yell, crucify him. Because they see him as a failure. You had one job. Help me execute my agenda. And you failed. So let Barabbas go. He was better. At least he fought hard. This guy just rides in on a donkey and won't do anything. How are we supposed to beat Rome with some guy riding on a donkey who refuses to do anything to make war against Rome? I've always wondered why, how can a, how can an, a crowd shift that quickly? From blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, palm branches to that. And I think it's the, the massive disappointment that often comes when people realize that I have a very clear sense of where this ought to go and he failed me because, and, and you'll notice it when you hear a phrase like this, when somebody's talking about God or Jesus, I can't believe in a God who. Oh, yeah. That's the giveaway. Yep. How about, because understand that whether you worship him or not has no bearing on whether one does exist, right. right? So, so you, can, you can say it, you can say, I refuse to worship him. That's rebellion. That's not atheism, right? Atheism says there isn't one. But if it starts with, I can't worship a God who, that's kind of Palm Sunday in a nutshell. It's Jesus is supposed to be here. This is our moment. We're taking it back from Rome. This is it. And the massive disappointment they go through when it's pretty clear he's not going to do it in all the fervor that had built up, right? That adding on of the statement. They can't just say Hosanna. I mean, that, that word, which means save us now in, in Aramaic, okay? Save us now. Hosanna. If you ever wonder what that means, we sang it in church for years. I had no idea what it meant until I went to school. But it was like, <laughs> I'm like save us now. Yep. Not save us. Now. Yep. Right? So, I guess one of the questions I would ask us as we head into Palm Sunday is... Given that there is there's still really no shortage of people who celebrate Jesus they believe exists for their own political interests, someone who's here to do fill in the blank, are we going to fall into the same trap? Because the crowd on Palm Sunday is cheering a fantasy. That's the sad part. They're saying and cheering and waving palm branches out of Jesus that is not the real one. He's the image. They're worshiping a graven image shaped like a little, a little anti-Roman statue. Here he is, the next Judas Maccabeus, except this is the one. They thought Judas Maccabeus was one. But here he comes. And so that disillusionment when all you want is to see the world change in the ways that you want to see it changed. And he fails you, in quotes. The disappointment can lead you to complete disillusionment with him, to wash your hands of him, say, you know what, hey, I tried that thing, but you know what, it really didn't make much of a difference in my life. What they mean was I never really tried actual Christianity. What I tried was politics dressed up for church. That's different. Right? So Palm Sunday asked me then, okay, am I guilty of doing the same thing? Am I guilty of, of worshiping a Jesus 
that I have kind of created in my mind, or am I worshiping the real one who says, I am here to save the world. I'm not here to save Israel from Rome and, and, and bring you back into military power. I'm here to save the world, to save the world. Do we celebrate the real Jesus or the one we've made up? That's the question, one of the questions of Palm Sunday. And then lastly, some misunderstand his majesty. Now, I'm going to cheat here and flip over to Luke 19. Luke 19, there's the other, another, uh, Luke tells his side of it. And then there are a couple of key things in Luke that I think are important to understanding Palm Sunday. And that's, I think, a good practice when, you, when you're studying stories is to take all the different accounts because they all see it from a little bit of a different angle. The facts are basically the same, but it's all the, uh, the little nuances to it. In Luke, the Pharisees say, as everybody starts to chant, they say, tell your disciples to be quiet. And Jesus, though, reminds them that there are some things that just got to be said. So when they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest, he says, well, if, if I do, just so you know, the rocks will say it. That's right. Amen. I mean, that will preach right there. That will preach. Woo! Like you go, you mean to tell me that if I decide I'm not going to praise God because I don't want to do it, some rock somewhere is going to say, praise him. (laughs) Palm Sunday then says, okay, I'm not going to let a rock take my place. No rock will take my place is that old song saying, right? It's like, you mean the rocks will cry out. They misunderstand his majesty. They go, tell your disciples to be quiet. Silence them. But the parade that Jesus is a part of now that's being thrown in his honor will not be postponed by their cynicism or their jealousy or their envy. Our king is different. He's not primarily some life coach who's here to help hone our form in doing the things that we always do and help us do them a little bit better. When you hear a statement like that, if they don't do it, the rocks will cry out. Whew. Humble enough to ride on a donkey. Glorious enough to make rocks built hallelujah by the millions. Man, he is loving enough to weep over all we could be, which is what he does in Luke. He weeps as soon as this is over, before he even gets to the end of the street. He starts crying for them. And he says, if you'd only known the things that would make for peace. He says, you still don't get it. You still want me to be Jesus the warlord. And you have no idea the things that would make for peace. And basically what he's saying is, I'm peace. Come to me and you'll have peace. But they think it's a different thing, right? Palm Sunday reminds us that God will provide a witness a witness to the majesty of his son, though every mouth be stopped. Opposition to Christian witness cannot succeed. The truth will eventually come out. It can't be silenced forever. And that's a challenge to us if we find ourselves to be the disciples on these occasions who declare publicly and boldly, Hosanna in the highest. Now, when other people tell us to be quiet, we just kind of say no. And we keep going especially at this time of year, but really between Monday and Saturday, we'd be just fine too. That with our life and our words that everything that we do, everything that we are says that the one we preach, the one we believe in, the one we say we live for, okay, Hosanna in the highest. Stop. No. Hosanna in the highest. 
Little, little quieter, please. Nope, not going to do that. Because if I do stop, then the ra- rocks are going to start crying out, and we can't have that. So, rock won't take my place, so you can hear me instead. Right. right. Are there ways to do it that can pervert the meaning of it? But in general, it's, it's always been about making sure that when, when the, the New Testament gives us love, love God with heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, the God we're loving, heart, mind, soul, and strength, is God himself. That's right. Not a figment of our imagination. Not a graven image. Not politics dressed up for church. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior of the world. Amen. That's him. That's him. So then it's easier for me to get some focus. So, this is my bat. This is my magic bat. I'm a huge baseball fan, if you don't know and can't tell. Guy who brings baseball bats into the pulpit, just my, 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 my backpack that you see is made of baseball glove leather. That's how, like used baseball glove leather. That, that's how much into baseball I am. Opening day's coming on Thursday. This is my special bat, though. Uh, I got this at the Louisville Slugger Factory in Louisville, Kentucky. This is the autograph of the owner, John Hilrick IV. You know whose name this is right here? It says Tim Spivey. Tim Spivey. I'm going to say it again. Tim Spivey. Right there. It's my special bat. We were there during the All-Star break, and we got to hold the bats that the players were going to be using in the All-Star game before they got to hold them. We got to pick them up with our hands and feel them and swing them around. They tell me, that those guys, the pros, if the thing is as is, is, uh, slightly off as about one sixty-fourth of an ounce, they can tell. If they get their bats, and that's why they're all done by laser and everything now, that if they're even remotely off, they can tell. They pick it up and they're like, mm, something's not right. They just throw it aside, get a different bat. So this was a pastor's gathering I was at, and they were taking us on a tour of the, of the, of the Louisville Slugger factory, Christian family that owns the place. We get to the end. And they give us all bats with our names on them, signed by the man himself. I mean, I'm not a big crier, but I almost got, I almost wept. I was so happy. It's my special bat. Well, so I don't know if you've ever tried to balance a bat on your hand before, like this, you know. Okay. So the thing with with balance is, uh, you know, you can't, if, if you really just sit there and you focus on trying to balance everything, you can't do it. What you have to do is you have to find a focal point and stay there, right? Now, what I can't guarantee you is this is going to work because as I stare at my focal point, the lights are going to burn my retinas out of my head every second that I do it, okay? But as you do it, right, now I'm going to focus at first. I'm just going to look around the room and try and balance it, okay? Okay, that didn't last long, all right? <laughs> but if you try to do it this way, right, and I go... All right, where's John Hilarik the Fourth? There we go. That's going to be my focal point. Then I can make all these little adjustments, right? I can sit there because I'm balancing and I'm focused. So even if I want to swerve it around a little bit, ooh, right? I can make whatever adjustments I want because I'm focused. Okay? So here's what we do. A lot of times you don't make those little adjustments because we're not focused, right? What we do is we sit there and we go, all right, this is the week I'm going to get my life together. So here we go. Kids are on spring break. Where are we going on vacation? 
Oh, sorry. Now I'm going to try harder this time. All right, for real. I'm going to a ladies' Bible class this week too. You can't stop me. All right, here we go. All right, one, two, three. Hey, whoop, whoop. Kids are back in soccer now. Whoop, okay. And so because your focal point isn't right, it just keeps stopping over and over. You can't balance that way. Here's what you do, right? You go, you go, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm going to focus. So I can feel the little tugs, right, at the bottom. But I'm not going to let it drop. I can make the little adjustments because I'm focused. The Holy Week, I can sit there and say, I can even preach on Palm Sunday in front of people online, people on the route and do whatever, as long as I'm focused. Can I do it? Woo! (laughs) So what they're doing here on Palm Sunday, what we do on Easter, what we do on Good Friday, focus. Down here, you're going to feel little shifts. You're going to feel Satan trying to tug at you, right? Focus. Up on the name. Hallelujah. On the name, Hosanna. Hosanna. Save us now. Not from Rome. Save us from us. Come Friday night. Bring your friends. And say with your actions and your deeds and your words, how great he is. Take the journey from Palm Sunday to the cross. Experience the full weight of what Jesus did for you. And embrace and enjoy the great celebration of the empty tomb and all that means. Because all it means is that ultimately we're all Lazarus. We're all coming out of the tomb someday, right? So will you join us at NBC? Will you join us? All right. This time we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Uh, We have some ushers that have the little bags of communion in there. We're still uh, trying to keep everybody healthy, so we're, we're doing that. If you didn't get one and you would like one, all you have to do is put, a, put your hand up and keep it in the air, and we'll bring it to you. We got one here. Um, one here, my wife. <laughs> uh, it's all right. Um, but I, I want you guys uh, this morning to focus on what is said about Jesus. And Ann Weems wrote a great little poem. It's called Between Parades. Between Parades. She says, we're good at planning. Give us a task force and a project and we're off and running. No trouble at all. Going to the village and finding the colt, even negotiating with the owners is right down our alley. And how we love a parade. A frenzy of celebration, we gladly focus on Jesus and generously throw down our coats and our palms in his path, and we can shout praise loudly enough to make a Pharisee complain. It's all so good, the parade. It's between parades that we don't do so well. We don't do so well from Sunday to Sunday. We forget our hosannas between parades. The stones will have to shout because we won't. Not bad, man. It's said that after Mother Teresa received the Nobel Prize, she was approached by some reporters, and they asked her if such a claim and recognition might go to her head. (laughs) 
She asked them if they remembered the story of Christ entering Jerusalem on a donkey. And then they said, yeah. And she goes, do you think the donkey thought it was in his honor? <laughs> Not bad, Mother Teresa. Remember, it's all about him. It's always all about him. All right, let's pray now. Heavenly Father, um, right now we say Hosanna in the highest. For all that you've done for us in Christ, Father, we are so, so grateful. Please, Father, save us from ourselves. Save us from our ways of trying to manipulate the kingdoms of this earth. Keep us focused, Father, on the name of Jesus, which is the name above every other name. Father, this week particularly, help us focus in such a way that it keeps our life anchored in the right place, that we have rhythm and balance and focus. We love you, Lord. Uh, we love this time of year. Help us to take full advantage of the depth uh, and the riches of going back through the core gospel stories. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name as we take communion. Amen.